Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabrogal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders past, present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experiences in the creative industry. I'm Tracy. I'm Wendy. We We saved you a seat. Come Come join join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to the very final installment of AAP at our table. Today, we're very, very excited to have Mikey with us, who's a writer at AAP joining us. So Mike was born and raised in Sydney, is of Fijian Chinese descent. He's a business analyst, copywriter, semi-pro athlete, musician, and most recently, a new business owner. So very, very impressive suite of titles. Today, we'll be chatting to Mike about his experience in the Asian Australian advocacy space, what effective advocacy looks like, and what we can do to make a difference in the Asian Australian community. So welcome, Mike. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I don't know how much imposter syndrome one person can have, but <laughs> when, it's, when it's said out loud, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh man, am I good at any of those things? <laughs> I'm super, super stressed now. No, that's awesome. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and all these different titles that you have? Yeah. So, um, Thanks for the introduction. Name's Mike. I really just like go by Mike, even though it's like, you know, we're in a day and age where we kind of live by our like IMs and all that kind of stuff. And I guess uh, I'm a professionally a business analyst slash consultant. So I've made my bread and butter of that for, you know, the last 15 years of my life since finishing university. But through that kind of thing, I've had like, you know, the luxury of experiencing a lot and seeing a lot. And I kind of Maybe it's just a thing of my family and I, because I'm from a family of uh, artists. My brothers are both working in media and art as their careers and kind of like by os- like reverse osmosis because they're kind of the, the younger. I <laughs> can't hold on to like, you know, wanting to follow threads of things that I was passionate about. It includes music, writing, and also uh, sport. Yeah, I, w- I would say I'm a semi-pro athlete, uh, first and foremost, uh, it started as a hobby uh, and I kind of went on to be a national wrestler, which was very wow. like, yeah, something that like I didn't plan on doing, but you stick with something long enough and it's like six years or seven years have gone and you're like, man, I've been doing this for a long time. And yeah, I'm, I was able to make it to the national level and win one gold. So I am oh, wow. a, I am an ex X is critical national champion. I don't, <laughs> I don't want anyone, I don't anyone to come wrestling me and just be like, oh, I heard you won a national championship. Yeah, a long time ago, <laughs> long time ago. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, that that's that's been like a like you know a big highlight of my life to be able to like kind of be serious about that. And then mm. yeah, outside of that, always pursuing uh, music and writing, and uh, that's kind of how I like landed with the AAP. Uh, it came off the back of an interview when I did a serious release for one of my music projects and really went to press about it had everything written up and that and that's how connected with the AAP and off the back of that it was just having a conversation with them and saying hey there's some like you know there's more that we can kind of say here and like discuss in the space of Asian Australia and I'd I'd like to do some uh, writing so that's kind of Mm. yeah how it all kind of came about. How do you balance everything? Like, what does a day in your week look like with all these different things, hats that you wear? Oh, uh, it's like it's like super messy, eh? <laughs> because I want and my my partner will attest to this. I fight so hard. Now I'm sure you guys can kind of like relate. Where it's like I feel like I'm in. Like I feel like I want to be introverted. Essentially, like mm. I like the idea of like null time catching up on like shows, things that I'm like, you know, interested in absorbing. And I have this conversation with my brothers all the time, especially where it's like, you need to absorb life and like a part of the world, media, whatever, what have you, to be able to put back out. So it's like a cycle, Mm. right? If there's no no inspiration, if there's none of that, then how can you kind of like dialogue in a way, Mm. right? Or communicate. So I'm always looking for that time, but especially with this business that uh, venture that I've just started, my partner's like the real introvert. He's like, he's the area expert, the subject matter expert in the space of coffee. 
and I'm the one like that interfaces essentially with all the customers, but it's because we're also like, like I want to make a real connection and be like friends and I'm really like up on community driven, like being community driven yeah. and supporting. So inherently it's just like, it's, it's extroversion. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And, and my partner kind of like, I think there's a part of it that really like, is just like, you need to just not look at your phone. Like at some point when people are hitting you up, because you can, they, like they don't expect a reply straight away. But for me, it's just ingrained that it has to be a courtesy to keep dialogue going as yeah. well. Yeah. Because that's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. So I, how I juggle it, it's, it's just, choosing now it was bad yeah. before and now it's like slotting and being like okay for this period this is the thing that i'm doing and then when i like get a bit of a break and then like on to the next thing whereas you probably you've experienced it you try to do things in parallel and it just yeah yeah and <laughs> your day just comes apart you're like what happened <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you also don't get like the quality of i guess work that you put in if you're trying to split yourself over so many different um, like commitments. So Absolutely. I feel like Tracy and I can definitely relate because we're probably very prone to like juggling way too many plates or having too many things booked in. Um, I'm curious to know where you grew up and what your cultural background is. Yeah. So I was born and raised uh, here in Bride, uh, Sydney. So just Northwestern suburbs area. My uh, background is uh, Fijian Chinese. It's a interesting one because a lot of people when they see my brothers and I and especially Andrew um, the the bigger of the twins he has more I guess of like the Fijian genetic inflection so he's like he's like a 30 centimeters taller than me and like wow. yeah and his skin is like 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 a shade darker than say like Chris and I's right and so but like all together you can kind of tell we're brothers but at the same time it kind of looks like it looks like a blend <laughs> it does across the spectrum <laughs> so it's like yeah it's a it's it's an interesting kind of like background in a way because I guess in thinking about like representation and stuff, there's a big part of us obviously that grew up as a part of the Asian Australian community and it was something maybe we didn't fully engage or appreciate. We went to Epping Boys High School um, mm. at the time of going to high school because we graduated between 2005 and 2007. Um, the school was something like 65% uh, other ethnicities, like Asian ethnicities yeah. and that. So it was like significantly like, and we didn't think about like it as much as we think about it now, which is kind mm. of funny. It was kind yeah. of, e even then it was very like, kind of like, uh, like tribal and distinct in the way of being like the Korean boys only hung out with the Korean boys. And then like yeah. a lot of like Chinese, uh, Hong Kong Chinese, like Cantonese, which is our background. But then at the same time, we were starting to get like um, exchange students from like mainland China. So it was like interesting seeing that and seeing the cultural differences in that, but not really engaging it properly because to us, we didn't make those distinctions. Like we didn't see it as clearly as to what we know now and what we see now. And then there's a the whole Polynesian side. So you go to like, we were like, go to the shops, like go to top old top ride or West ride and stuff. And there's like a big Maori community, like some Fijians as well, even and Samoans. And they would like recognize in a way that we were like, uh, Polynesian as well they could yeah. tell which is really interesting like yeah so like there was a part of my bringing that definitely like engaged that and the thing with like Polynesian culture that kind of differentiates from like any other I guess culture that I've experienced is that if you're if you're also Polynesian it's like all family like your family straight away mm, right that's yeah. not always a good thing because sometimes they start asking <laughs> for favors straight away <laughs> it's like yeah and you're like hang on a minute yeah yeah, yeah lead off that but yeah it was like i don't know like growing up was like a very interesting thing because we weren't either or we just were products of like this area that we grew up in and yeah it's sometimes it felt like a bit displaced but at the same time engaging in all the media and that that we did that was very informative of what this looked like in like the world outside yeah. of sydney australia yeah. yeah i think you touched on it a little bit before but so what why did you join aap like have you always been quite involved in the asian australian community or has there been a journey there i think i think that was it like i've always yeah i've always felt like 
the Asian Australian community in Australia, like, well, obviously in Australia, sorry, but like the Asian Australian community in our pocket, in our area, it's changing constantly, but the understanding of what it, like what it is and where it is was always somewhat underrepresented. Uh, it was something that I wrote in the first piece um, for the AAP or that Michelle and I discussed, sorry, but it was like, it's been here generationally. It's just that our parents were just kind of here and getting along, getting on with it. Yeah. So they were, they were happy that they could come here. Like every other weekend, my dad would be like, we have to have one dinner in Eastwood because it's somewhere that I, he goes and it reminds, like it's Hong Kong or it's, it's just all cancer. Yeah. And so you can do that in Sydney. And I think it is something that's like extremely underrated and undervalued in Sydney. The fact that like, you can go to a suburb and it's that entire culture and ethnicity just yeah. taken over. And it does, it seems to differentiate from anywhere else. Like people complain about the public transport here, sure. People complain yeah. about like, you know, how you have to have a car and how kind of like split out it is and like, like you know, sparse. But in that sparseness, you have these cultural pockets that are yeah. super like, uh, yeah, condensed and intense, which is really cool. So like say COVID's a good example of that period. I feel like we reconnected during that time with the community in a way because you weren't going always to the city or you weren't always mm. going to these areas which are like Sydney is known for. And so like I remember Eastwood. I would go I went to Eastwood uh during lockdown just to get groceries and stuff. And there's like markets all out in the street. Like all the retailers had like their food out and you could just pick up like lunch boxes and stuff. And the cool thing was like everyone from like local ministers to like the police even were just getting their food as well and just like trying to support the community. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I think of in terms of like Asian Australia representation, it's very much here versus like, yeah. and, then, and then when I go to other states, it's like different again. So I feel very like fortunate to have like a strong connection with it here. Yeah, I mean, you go from one suburb to another in Sydney and it's a completely different community and a completely different culture. It's really interesting how, I guess, colourful and complex yeah absolutely and and yeah, yeah. And, it, and and it's and it's a it's a representation like of almost every every part of the world now like if you yeah like you can you keep finding out like i didn't know punchbowl had a massive croatian community yeah and i was like yeah. this is like yeah this is crazy so i got, got out to there like a few years ago and just was eating a bunch of food and like you know you get like the old people like like swing dancing and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. and i'm like this is really cool this is out here right That's like sick. yeah so, yeah, I've always felt like I was part of it. And I think it's just wanting to color that in because it's now with the next generation and, and, and the younger generation having a realization that they are, be, like they are being raised with their culture very overtly. Like sometimes it felt like I think there was a, like a disconnect where it's like, hey, I know we're doing this every week and like, you know, going to grandma's house and that, but why mm. do, why is there nothing like that about us? on like the meat like on tv on the yeah. media especially like in the generation i was in without the internet as much as it is now or like that connectivity but now asian australians like youth can see it yes i feel like you've had a lot of realizations like a bit later in your life and as you've grown up um it's become more important to you from from what i'm seeing in terms of like your storytelling I'm interested in like your experience with like advocacy and what you've done in that space. What exactly is advocacy and what does it mean to you? Um, it was, it's something relatively new to me and I do learn a lot through the other people at AAP. I do feel like one of the things I can say, uh, or I, I feel like saying as someone from like a bit of an older generation is that it's always important to listen. One thing I'm really cautious about is like, telling stories downstream constantly and being like, this is how it was like for Asian Australians when I was growing up, like all the time. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, cause you, yeah, it's you learning so much as, as things change. And in, also like, I'm super grateful for it as someone that's like getting like aging in this country as an Asian Australian. I'm like, it's cool that things are changing because like my father couldn't have dreamt of this, how mm. things are now in a way, right? And sure, there's a lot of like problems, I guess, like, still or not problems but like there's like still a lot of like issues on like a political level i guess an economic level that's always a thing especially with sydney as a fast developing city but it's something that comes with a bit of like a gift and a curse factor like we can do things like the neon playground event 
that's running in Chinatown, for instance, right? That's amazing. Like the fact that mm-hmm. that, yeah, was able to happen and the council backed it and put everything into it. Like seeing these things now, even just seeing like areas like um, Burwood, like coming like the epicenter yeah. for like Chinatown uh, in Sydney. Yeah. yeah, like I think hearing the push for these things and how the local government sees it as like an important thing to like really highlight uh AA culture here like as like a fundamental piece of Sydney is like it's different and it means a lot in that way yeah because it's something that I don't think I would have ever imagined say like say 15 years ago when I was in university right it was just like having our own little slice and like having our pocket and then just kind of like that was that that was the experience right yeah it was like I don't know isolated to a society or something at university but not front and center like you would yeah. see it now yeah 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 like people like y- y- you guys know like we'll, we'll reminisce a bit on university hey like it's like it was always like stereotypes but it was never yes. like a space yes words. Mm. Yeah, yeah and I think yeah. I think that's where things have like crazy changed and like <laughs> when I'm at university now it's uh, uh, a good example is like so for for clarity with the combat sports piece I pivoted just for context for the listeners I pivoted yeah. into a coaching role in the last few years um and I've coached out of Sydney University how the Sydney University combat sports structure essentially works is that Sydney wanted as a part of their program but it's not university run it's effectively like say a community club but without the overhead because Sydney is like footing the bill like the bill on facilitating the clubs so my coach is like a boxing boxing coach um shout outs to Glenn um (laughs) and you know that's like his like second gig to his like full-time job but it allows Mm -hmm. like you know it allows you to kind of look at prospects especially from the perspective of like students coming through the ranks and if they've been like if they want to look at a collegiate sport that they're more interested in say combat they can join the club which is essentially community so after i graduated from sydney uni i took a long sabbatical overseas i lived overseas for three years in the middle of that and that's where i started wrestling and then when i came back the wrestling club where this amazing Olympic coach was just so happened to be at Sydney Uni. So right. it was like falling back into that. But sorry, to take to take it back, we we do podcast structures, tangents, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. It. It's all about tangents. Wendy yeah. and I sometimes talk about one topic and end up in a completely different, different place. Like we're like, what were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. My um yeah, actually, shout outs to uh, my uh, my co-host. I'm gonna I'm not gonna plug it here, but we we have a podcast on the side, and oh, plug he, it, plug it. It's the uh, best of friendos podcast. It is an anime uh, weeb and well being podcast. Love. Yeah. So that's another like you know to take it to like uh, back to the topic. That's actually another thing that we started engaging more seriously because a part of our like. A part of my life with my friend who's also my business partner is that we're massive anime fans and mm-hmm. we wanted just a platform to be able to discuss it because we realized like the community here is not as connected as other parts like where it's blowing up in America and other Western yeah. like countries. So we started this podcast with my partner as well who's based in, over in Japan and oh. We got to go to, we did SmashCon this year. So we had a booth there yeah. and everything. And it was really interesting, like talking to some of the Asian Australians who are massive anime fans. And like the biggest crux of the discussion is, did you guys watch this as like a, a reference of like identification? And it, it we find that that's a common thread. Like anime yeah. is a part of media that is very much like we got a proxy to something that's like home or that to yes. our identity. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wendy and I were saying in one of our previous discussions where like we couldn't find our stories in the big screen. We had to go to like anime. We had to go to like Korean dramas. Yes. TVB dramas because we just couldn't see on Channel 10. Yeah. Like, 100%. Yeah. I, I was I was lucky when I started uni, I had a bunch of friends that I, because I got a job on campus too. And a lot of my friends through that job were like years older. And they were uh, massively into Hong Kong cinema. Like they had all the VCDs, laser discs. And they full put me onto it. And like, yeah, like Tony Leung, like seeing him in Shang-Chi and being like, I remember when he was like a heartthrob in like um, Infernal Affairs. Uh, That's crazy. Like he's Leo. 
technically yeah in that, yeah, in that yeah. Frame. like mom look look who's on like this in the cinemas yeah and he like and he's like performance in Chang chi was like amazing and mm-hmm. i was like watching him I was like you don't understand like tony book is a legend like yeah, those, yeah. like they're not the know but yeah like that was that was a massive part like media back then and having to i think we're more for it now because having to look for it back then or have it like you know ask for it and now it's like so mainstream like it's mm. it's actually crazy like yeah yeah I, I was talking to uh andrew about this about k-pop and we're like as whatever people want to frame k-pop as and especially with like the grayness of that industry you mm. can't deny the fact that it makes people feel so much more like seen in a way yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and that's staying with anime. Now that anime is super mainstream, like yeah, yeah, like for the little fo- like for the s- smaller following that the podcast has, the amount of feedback when we put out polls, like things like that, is insane because everyone wants is wants to be in on the conversation now about yeah. these things, yeah. and yeah, and it's like the rabid fan base as well, um, which is really cool. Um, I just, I think one of the things, I don't know if you guys find this, right? But because you grew up like, you know, uh, you grew up with your traditions and like raised uh, with like, you know, with your cultural traditions, sorry. Sometimes because people are so like, there are fans of the culture as well, which is like a weird term to say, but there's like people who are, you know, enjoying it from the outside. It's like, nanny wanting to like kind of correct sometimes and i'm like oh this is just how i was raised to like (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. like it's a it's like kind of like this weird because there's so much information i guess is what i mean to say there's this like blurred line between like like the reality of someone's life like our lives versus someone who like really really loves asian culture but they're not asian but they have all this information you know what i mean yeah so it's It's like interesting yeah, yeah. I, I want to ask about actually anime culture. I, I feel like it's so interesting because you're saying it's going to be ancient. I always found like people who are really into anime and like identify themselves with weaves or whatever. It's almost like there's a negative connotation to it. But now there's a shift, right? Like, yeah. Can you talk, tell us a bit about like what you guys talk about on your podcast and like what that culture is like now? Because it's just interesting to kind of understand like what the perceptions are of other people on people who love love anime. Um, we, we, we started like the angle we wanted to go with was how anime plays into our identity in everyday life. So the, the three W's we struck in was like, kind of like, um, we wellness and wellbeing. And it was Mm -hmm. kind of this idea, like your fanship for something in general, and especially with the background, like specific background of being Asian Australian, like all, all, all three of us, except for my partner, but she's interestingly, western asian she grew up in north america so she has like a bit of like it's a bit of a different context but it's cool to kind of play off a bit with luke and my like AA background um it's like how like how we contextualized anime from the viewpoint of like how it affected our lives and influenced us because Mm. media Mm. like in a way like especially when you're young it's very impressionable in the way that you kind of like i guess see the world right like even if it's like oh like especially with anime like being so highly fantastical we do find that some of the problematic things in like some of these like previously subcultures because they're taken to mainstream now it's like how do those ideas cascade into like a like into a bigger space and are people still holding on to like things like as a part of this fiction that like really yeah. play into their everyday lives. Um, yeah, yeah. Like the I like the themes taken away from it and stuff like that. How much of it is true to us versus how much of it is projected, and that's yeah. kind of like how what our podcast is about. It's like deep diving into these series, which you know at a certain time, like if you're in a dark place, may have gave, given you a lot of confidence because mm. there's a big part of anime that's about like overcoming like hardships in certain yeah. types of series. That's a good running theme. Yeah. Um, yeah big parts of it that are like you know the romance like big romance series and things yeah. like that and actually it is super insane that like in recent times there's series that are in crazy progressive and that's been the right. most wowing thing to me like they've yeah. put themes in that i feel like otherwise would even be challenging to japanese culture and norms but yeah, they go yeah. but the creators are going out there and like doing it and um yeah. so it's discussing that and how it's transforming like 
the ref- it's like the reflection of the world versus the world reflecting back on mm. inspiring the creation of it and then how it in- it impacts the uh, audience and the fans. Yeah. In a way, you are creating a space to like a safe space for people who identify with like being a weeb or being really into those things um, to come and connect with your content. What are your biggest learnings from, I guess, doing that and being a part of AAP as well and advocating for like, I guess, change? It's it's really dope. Like, so the biggest platform that I find is uh, like, you know, we're so blessed to have is, is Discord. So we have the AAP Discord. And then yeah. like prior to that, um, we set up one when Smash happened for the for our community, and it's just like mm-hmm. gone up and up. Like we like from guests that we've had on the podcast and stuff like that, they've come into there and been able to kind of just have a space to like you know chat about series and all these kind of things. And and the funny thing is though, I'll I'll share one thing. I'm all because my partner moderates it. I'm like yeah you're always on the razor thin edge of someone saying something problematic, aren't you? That's the biggest problem with facilitating a space. And especially with something like anime, you're just like, please, please don't, please don't. But the feedback from everyone that's in the uh, Discord channel is that they feel really like, they feel like it's really positive. Like everything that's Mm. being thrown around, like even if they don't like the suggestion or what, it's all positive conversation. And I'm like, I'm glad, I'm glad. (laughs) Just fingers crossed that it stays that way. You never know, you know, with like these type of things when people are (laughs) unhinged. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like intensely passionate or they take like something like, you never know whether they take like one series so seriously and then it'll just be like... Yeah, I've seen that on K-pop forums before where people are so diehard that it's, like, scary. Um, Yeah, People forget that there are humans behind the content. Like, I just feel like they get so sucked in and it's, like, yeah, like, you would never say any of these comments in someone's, like, face. Oh, no, no. Have you, like, you know, to ask a question back, have have you found the same thing with, like, you know, with uh, a seat at the table, like sharing content out and some of like the feedback from the community or just like the correspondence, have you found that it's generally like very positive and supportive? Uh, and yeah. But you got to have your filter hat on, I guess, too, to kind of like... Yeah, <laughs> no, just no, like it. it's been actually like, I think we've been overwhelmed with how positive it's been. Like it's yeah. been awesome. a lot of time, it's people saying like, you know, I've always felt this way, but I've never heard it articulated in a way that you guys have said it and it's always like really positive it's interesting kind of like what people relate to so like episodes that we'll put out that will be like oh i don't know if anyone even cares about what we're talking about you have one person go that's the episode that resonated with me the most so we get really good positive like feedback and i think wendy and i when we started coming into this we were kind of like oh we don't want to like say the wrong thing because i think that was the thing that we always thought like the fear of saying the wrong thing especially when you're talking about like Asian Australian culture, and then obviously we only represent like the, so what, the Chinese Vietnamese yeah. like yes. um, yeah. experience. So that was our concern. But pleasantly, I don't think we've actually had a lot. Like we haven't really had any negative negative feedback. We've had like some people go, "Oh, suggestions on what you could do. Like this is what you could look at." But nothing bad, I would say. Like yeah. all for learning. Yeah. And I think that's like really cool because there's a part of the advocacy for sure. Like where we look to kind of like more infrastructural stuff like politics and and, and lead, general leadership, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's something that I was having, like it's kind of crazily timed with like me just chatting with you guys this morning Yeah. because last week I had a big sit down with one of the, um, one of the coffee roasters in Sydney who's quite uh, reputable. Uh, he, his name is Paulie, shout out to Uncle Paulie, but he's the owner and founder of Diggy Doo's Coffee. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's like his name is kind of like very big in the underground scene of the coffee and also like, mm. you know, and, and more overtly now that his stuff's getting more out there. Yeah. But Paulie's a bit of like an OG like myself. And in sitting down and chatting about it, we were talking about, so there's this like, you know, not to kind of self-plug, but there was this piece that I wrote for AAP and I said to myself, like, if this is the only thing I write for AAP because I understand like we're doing this for like love and for our passion then yeah. this is the one that I want to write. And the name of it was um, like growing up without Asian Australian heroes and role mm. models. And he wanted to sit down and chat to me about that because now we're both like kind of going in, like doing our own businesses or he's been doing mm. it for some time. And I was like, Paul, because you have such a big name in coffee, 
what's changing is that people are looking for like role models and like heroes. Like we're not, we don't want to, I don't want to give any of us that label ourselves. It's something that I feel like just kind of happens, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If that's so, but people look for it everywhere because we've never had an AA. So it doesn't have to just be like on television. It doesn't just have to be in media. It can be in walks yes. of life where you're inspiring people like you guys to do things like this or join uh, a seat at the table, right? Ask how mm. they can be a part of this, right? Yeah. And yeah, and I, I was saying to Paul, like, because you're so like in specialty coffee, which is traditionally not been like a, like an Asian, let alone Asian Australian kind of like thing in terms of the hierarchy, and you're like so influential, people look to you and say, if Paul can do it, I can learn too. Yeah. Like other Asian yeah. Australians. Right. And I, and that takes me back to like the Sydney Uni thing. When I coach now, I don't know what the next best boxer or wrestler looks like, but classically, like half the kids that come in, especially exchange students, a lot of them are Chinese. And it's like no mm. one is pegging like this Chinese boy or girl over here to be the next like star boxer at yeah. Sydney Uni. But suddenly yeah. they're like competing. They're in the ring and they're yeah. fighting. And it's like, it doesn't matter anymore. If they can see that it's possible that off yes. the back of someone else doing it, yeah. then they're like, yeah, sure. Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think yeah. that that to me, like to take it all the way back to your question, really, that's what advocacy at least means to me on like a very, on a very social level, on a very community and immediate yeah. level. Yeah. I love that because it just proved like all my expectations of how this episode might go differently <laughs> because I guess to what you said earlier that like when we think about advocacy growing up, we think about politics and we think about people who are in like bright lights who uh, become our role models or become people that we look up to because I just have this vivid memory of being asked like in primary school, you know, when people are like, oh, who's your role model? And like you immediately think to people that you see in the media or what you've been exposed to. But like you said, like having local people or people that you know of who can inspire you to be better, like that in itself is a role model as well. And I think that's so important. And I think that's also like what you're doing is, I guess, creating space for that, for you to influence other people as well. So I think it's amazing work. Thank you. I think I really like it. It's uh, always difficult for me to engage that because I think, I just love pushing the needle on things and yeah, yeah. thinking about the fact like, I don't know, there is a part of me which is a bit like I'm a Leo, so there's like a, there's a pride <laughs> sensibility to it. But I'm like, sometimes I, I take a step back and I'm like, I feel like I wasn't meant to be here. Sometimes with my brothers like as well, yeah. it's like we weren't meant to be here necessarily when we think about 10 plus years ago but we're yeah. doing it now and that's it. Like yeah. it's that immediate effect and being able to dialogue with like you guys, like this is so cool. Like being able to actually chat about this stuff and it not be something where it's like thinking about whether you also feel this way. It's yeah. now that it's so out there, it's like, oh, we, we, we know that it's like kind of like yeah. here, it's just more, yeah, we speak about it more now, which is awesome. Yeah. 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 Are there any like specific issues other than the ones that you've kind of really touched on that you're really passionate about in the Asian Australian space and kind of want to see change in the Asian Australian space? Um, I think it's the definition. Like it's it's something I've spoken to a lot of people, especially from the media side of things, and and also the the um, hospitality side. I mean, such a massive gateway for our culture in Sydney, uh, in Sydney and Australia in general, has always been food, right? like mm -hmm. yeah. that that's kind of like the 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 baseline in to where like if someone's a bit like you know culturally ignorant and we you know we don't have to hide the fact that like traditionally australia has a reputation for at times being a pretty like racist society but then it's the food is always the gateway it, like yeah. you know it's and it's crazy seeing what people are totally down to eat now. Like the biggest one for me is like kimchi. Like everyone eats kimchi now. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be so funky. Like um my friend told <laughs> That's me so true. My yeah. friend told me a story because she used to live on campus and she told me this story from university, it would have been 2007. And she was asked by her housemate 
to eat her kimchi rice out on the balcony because it smelled so bad. <laughs> yeah, which was crazy. And she was like super sad. And I'm, like, well, and I'm like, isn't it awesome now that like, and she goes, and that same friend has like um, a Korean like husband now and she's eating kimchi all the time. Right, and, and I'm like, isn't that insane? Like, how, like you never know, right? And yeah. I think it's the representation of that, like on all equal scale. So it's not like selecting. It was uh, actually, yeah, it was something that like I spoke to Michelle great lengths about, but we couldn't articulate it yet in a way where we could put something together. But maybe down the line, but it's the topic of uh, exotifying and commoditizing. Yeah. The, each stream of Asian culture. So, like this month, the Vietnamese are the like popping. So everything <laughs> Vietnamese, right? But it's like Asia's also like yeah, Middle Eastern. It's Indian, yes. right? But like it's not something that like comes and goes. The culture's always here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I think it's that and like that understanding and that being more prevalent that Asian Australia is year round. Yes. You know, it's not when the cultural moments are here that all the companies and brands come out and go, happy Diwali, happy New Year, Lunar New Year, and then that's it, you know? Like, it's all year round, like you say. I really like that, yeah. Yeah, like, look, we got, like, February's coming up. We know, like, like uh, Chinese New Year, right? Like, Lunar New Year's coming through. And it means a lot for other East Asian cultures as well as China, like, not just yes. Chinese, right? Yeah. Uh, but yes. you know what the city of Sydney is going to do? And there's going to be something gaudy that comes up. Like, every yeah. year, <laughs> without a doubt, there's something that's always a bit eye-rolling, which is just, like, but it's, like, like at this stage, because we're still, like, developing that kind of, like, element of like representation and visibility do yeah. we is is something better than nothing and we just learn from it yeah. and keep growing right yeah in that space yeah, exactly so, so maybe that's yeah. the reality yeah. yeah it's it's better to talk about it than just not do anything about it at all and yeah. i think it like goes back to the podcast spaces that we're in like we could have just talked about it amongst ourselves and stopped there but in opening like the space for it like we've connected with people in a similar space and are constantly learning which i think um is the best part of it all. Yeah, yeah definitely and then putting ourselves in that position to drive it too like you like you guys like that's huge like what ap is doing as well like trying mm -hmm. to find spaces uh like leadership roles and then taking yeah. the reins and running for it because we know we feel now that if it's not there for us we're going to at least try and break the glass ceiling and create that space to kind of own it, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, and I feel just very blessed to like kind of like sit back and learn myself and like kind of like see these things kind of awesome. So it's really awesome what you guys are doing. Yeah, it, it's really a rich community, I think. Like I, I'm surprised every time we talk to a new guest, there's always like it opens up another nugget of the community and another nugget. And we're like, oh my God, there's so much out there that, that's not visible still and that we don't know about it's yeah really really cool um so what frustrates you about the current state of advocacy in the asian australian community oh um i, I do i think still like stere like stereotypes being a big kind of proxy point to like kind of like the, the blurry line of like having a laugh at it and then it being like inherently damaging for like yeah. Asia, the asian australian community like some of some of the stuff like I, I'll give an example without like you know naming and shaming, but there's a meme account online that's always poking fun at like well it's supporting the community in like posting community events for AA, but then because it's a an account that is trying to like have high visibility and be viral, there's memes and a lot of the memes are about like bad drivers, and All to right. a certain extent it's a bit like well you feel like the, the creator, you feel comfortable because you're AA and it's okay for you to take shots because yes. you're just like, yeah. yeah. But at a certain point, this is like, yeah, this is like that self kind of deprecation, self-cultural yeah. deprecation is inherently like uh, discrimination, <laughs> you know? Or yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, like, cause like these poor people, like some of them are like super old people and like, you know, like it's, yeah. it has nothing to do with them being Asian. I'm sure it's just, yeah. And I'm like, oh man, like, you know, that's, it's content and it's that. So I think that's the frustrating thing. Like us taking the good with the bad always. And then like, mm. and because so many things these days in terms of getting that visibility is content driven, it's, yeah it's the it's where we kind of hit a hit a road and be like now nah, we got to do better 
Like we can be funny yeah. without it being like yeah. at the expense Harmful. of our own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because I like I sometimes I go to watch like Asian Australian comedians and like it's exactly what you say. It's always yeah. self-deprecating. Yeah. It most of the time it's self-deprecating and it's just interesting that that's the difference I feel like when I watch like maybe like non-Asian comedians versus Asian Australian comedians it's you always find that they play into those stereotypes because I think that's an easy win almost yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I th- I, actually uh, actually an interesting angle I was like I, I spin a lot of stories uh just chatting with like some of my friends that I grew up with and a part that we feel is like kind of I don't know like not spoken about in Sydney and would really like, but it's such a niche too. And uh, in Sydney is how funny some of the things that are like uniquely uh, that are unique about growing up in Sydney uh, as an ethnic minority. Like it has yeah. nothing to do with like, Oh, like, you know, my mom said like, if I don't get more like, like above 99% in the exam, then don't come home. Like that's a very, like, yeah. I've heard that joke a million times. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's something very specific about like the area, like a weird one, which I felt super represented in growing up was the series Fat Pizza, which is really kind of, Uh, it's really, it's really funny. Do you remember? (laughs) It's really, it's really gaudy. Yeah. So I'm going to search it up. (laughs) So it's about like the Middle Eastern community in like the Bankstown, like kind of Western Sydney area. And yeah, it's yeah. about these guys that own the pizza shop and like just like the comedy that ensues with them and like the kind of like socioeconomic like like lower class out there. So because you got like the Bogans as well and stuff like that. And because we grew up in the area, it was like this show is hitting all the notes in a very like intensely satirical way. Yeah. That like Sydney, like it's almost like too real. Like there's a scene that I find to be the most iconic scene, but and and I don't know, like, I, I don't know whether this joke's still going to hit in 2022. But it's and it's not inappropriate. It's just kind of like timely. So around yeah. the time of September 11, like the series was still running, and they had a scene where one of the characters who's like a, a drug dealer, um. Habib, his name is just Habib for token's sake. <laughs> He's driving the car along, and it's like the whole thing about the episode is that police are on higher alert for X, right. Y, and Z, but they don't like they're kind of nondescript. And he's driving down the uh, King George's like freeway, <laughs> and oh he God, sees yeah. this, and he sees the first sign, and it goes police now targeting like this like you know cars with like spoilers or something, and he's like glad he's like what, and then the sign goes past, he goes police now targeting Lebanese and he's like huh and then the last sign goes police now targeting Habib and he's like ha like that. and it's such a joke where it's like and that's like way before like ACAB or anything right and yeah. it's like but that to me was like oh yeah like it, it was always it was poking fun at how intensely like rate like racially targeted like the yeah. overarching structure was in Sydney but yeah. at, in, in the form of comedy and that kind of stuff was like very relatable because i'm like i saw that in high school like i saw kids get suspended even though they had like 90 plus uais like this is this sounds like me just blowing like in gas now but they were afghan afghani and because of like one misdemeanor on the playground they got suspended even though they were some of the smartest kids in the school and there was something about that which was like off you know like even if you're a kid you can tell at the time I've met people previously where they've had like perfect English and they were put in ESL classes because of their backgrounds yeah. in primary school. Yeah. Wow. It's, That's insane. Yeah, it's interesting how much has changed, I feel like, from where we were when we were young to kind of what's happening in the world now. Like yeah. those things won't pass today. Like no way could you do that, anything like no, that today. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And it's, and it's so good in that respect that there's so much more awareness around that, I think, as well. Yeah. I had a question uh, for you guys. What what um, media are you guys currently consuming, or more of a, more of a casual sense? Like, what are you guys watching at the moment? I find it very hard to like commit to watching stuff now because it like requires you to sit down, and this is a really bad thing. But like trying to focus is very bad right now because it's like you're so used to double screening all the time. Yeah. So I could be watching something on TV. Um, but I could also just be on my phone. So I'm not really watching per se. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I personally can consume a lot of Korean uh, dramas yep. and Korean 
um, music as well. Yeah, did that's you, usually the space that I foray into. Yeah, did you, did you watch? Um, did you watch Little Women by chance? No, I haven't. That is on my list. My sisters have been telling me, like, you need to watch it, and it's very, very strange because my sisters, my eldest and the youngest, they're eleven years apart, but they are constantly in conversations about Little Women <laughs> and like they Pop go culture. to they they go yeah. to Korean concerts together. That's Which is awesome. so strange. It's it's yeah. it's a surreal world, right? So like, okay. So the funny thing with Little Women is that we thought like that they were doing an interpretation of it based on the original text. The book. Yeah, yeah. Book. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. <laughs> it's it's like a th- oh really? It's like a thriller, which is like really <laughs> that, yeah, really funny. I'm not I'm not surprised though. Yeah. Like I yeah. feel like Koreans just take an idea and then they just go off and do their own thing. Yeah. With it. Like Korean like producers and directors as well. To that to that point, like where um, to that point you're making before, it's really interesting. So the one of the biggest things I think that's affected me from like a kind of AA perspective is that my mom intensely stands uh, Korean uh, drama and oh, and, really? and Korean pop bands. Like she's really into it, right? She's always <laughs> been someone that kind of keeps up to date with like modern, like you know, contemporary culture. But yeah, you know, like this is really taken her in a way that we haven't seen before like my brothers and I and her handle actually shout outs is K drama mama like that's her actual handle on Instagram <laughs> yeah. oh that's my so God. good yeah. I love that what what content does she post like does she do like little reviews or it's really funny because all the content is posted by my brother Andrew and he just makes the caption <laughs> up based on like him saying one thing to mom and her reacting and he's like that's the caption but oh my, that is so good but hearing about her experience with like engaging say like korean popular culture she like she started watching series at the beginning of like the pandemic like like 2020 and since then she's watched almost 150 series um how she has how she has that count is that she logs it in a book after she finishes and just writes how she felt about it in a notebook but it's just for herself wait she needs to post this on instagram she's gonna go viral <laughs> guys i like andrew said that to my andrew's like you know you could like write this publicly if you wanted to share your experience with other people yeah. and she's like i don't know how to do that yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things but it's like such an awareness and i was speaking i guess to some extent more seriously to her about it and it was like the re- it was her ability to relate to like some of the thematic stuff around family. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing about K dramas, I think, and, and Asian dramas in, in particular, that I think is more like is quite special is we see with Western dramas now in the churn of like a Netflix or Amazon, how yeah. you'll go to like these really intense and surreal stories. Like you know, true crime is a massive one, right? Like that's yeah. something that they always pivot to in Netflix when they want to kind of like bolster viewership. They do a true true crime series. It's always something yeah. that's like out of our element and really, really intense, right? Like extremely provocative, sexual, you know, violence driven. In some of the in in a lot of the East Asian dramas, it's a lot of dialoguing around like. And everything on the surface level in terms of interaction, like you, like an example, there's an intense romance series. You don't have to see any sex scenes. It's just, mm. it's just mm. interactions, right? But through yeah. through that and like the ceremony around that, like going to a cafe, always getting, always ordering ice long blacks. Um, it's one of the, <laughs> it's one of those things that like, yeah, when my mom watches it, she's like, yeah, that's something that like I know from life. And I was like, isn't that funny that like you, you just look, you can look at that now, like we can watch media and be like, we see ourselves in it just because of everyday stuff. But thinking back, like when I watched like Home and Away and Neighbours, like growing up, like just on TV. Just dramatic. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess like I thought I might've been that character, but I never really, like, (laughs) I, like, I, I, it was a weird thing where it's like, is this meant to represent Australian life? Because I don't know if I'm any part of this like version of Australia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like when I watch Neighbours, I never, I don't think I ever, ever identified with anyone in that. But then yeah. I never like went there to identify. It was more to like to just entertain. Yeah. Quite yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You were just like, oh, this is happening probably somewhere in a 
suburb far, far away, but within, <laughs> within yeah. New South Wales somewhere, but it's not within my community. Like some of the I'm s- like, I would lock my doors. There's no way I would leave my doors open. <laughs> yeah, people me. just walking in and out of the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know how yeah. mad my parents would be? Um, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. But it's like, I would look at it, like, especially, I guess, like neighbors, and I'd say, oh, like some people are... Like how like people I went to school with like I like this like mm. I do recognize the characters, uh, but right. but yeah. it's like yeah like yeah it was a bit weird like that I'm like and so there was that separation as well I guess like even if it was subconscious about being like they're Australian and I'm Fijian Chinese. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Taking it back to um, I guess like advocacy in the community. How do you think we can drive more action within the community? Um. I'll, I'll use an example of like local community here. There's a few candidates uh, this year, uh, particularly within the right like right area, who are like uh, of Asian Australian uh, background, and it's like it's one of these weird things where I had conversations with some friends, and it's like, would you just vote that person in because they're Asian Australian? And I think it is having like a bit of like scrutiny still around what they represent because politics is always something that like we can be quite cynical about at times like we we kind of filter through what they're proposing with policy changes and things like that and being like does it benefit us does it benefit the community or is it more just like is it driving some is it driving a very specific agenda right Mm. and i think for me it's like having that as well as champion, championing local businesses as well more and more mm-hmm. and saying that this also exists here. I, I guess because a lot of my lens is around like service industry and places of like socializing and community, like night spots and things like that. Mm-hmm. So much is made within our media of what's happening, say, east of the city, city and east, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like there's heaps of this stuff that already exists out in the suburbs and one of the things that really like kind of like, you know, was a big kind of bright point in an otherwise like dark lockdown was that, and I only knew this from like having the friends in industry that I did, hospitality in the suburbs saw a 20% increase in profit margins, whereas the city was take, took a mm. massive hit. So yeah. people were really like, you know, being about their local. And yes. I think it's driving that because out here, like it doesn't get, that kind of like visibility or representation in things like mass, like in media, like bro- the broadsheets and timeouts and whatnot. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, we never know. Like a lot of that could be to do with like, you know, money talking, right? So if, if these businesses are doing fine out here, they don't need to be blown up on broadsheet because they right. have that self-sustained kind of ecosystem. But it's someone, mm. it's someone kind of like highlighting and showcasing that, I feel that like this exists and it's it's a cool and different experience and if it's something that you want to like make the trip out for like how luke newen was doing his like tours of cabramatta yeah yeah that's like yeah then that's a yeah i think more things like that going back to politics what is your thoughts on the current state of asian australian engagement with politics i know you've written a couple of articles on aap about this as well like what are your thoughts on that yeah on the on the latest piece i think it's like largely like still like dissociated in a way so i think yeah i i i feel like because we don't see like policies or or like relevant to us or we don't really understand that have that understanding it's more at the moment like everyone that i've spoken to uh, about politics uh of an aa background it's more of an identification thing at this stage so it's like oh yeah like but then like if you dig deeper, like do they know much about like what's going to actually change for the community? Yeah. And it's yeah, so it's it's still figuring that part out about like mm. you know, and I think a lot of that does have to do with like being able to like have things in place that give longevity to like new businesses, not necessarily the ones that have always been there in the neighborhood because they've always been there, but say like you wanted to start like a new business that was like not within the stereotype of like. Asian Australia or whatnot. I I don't know what that might be, like a creative design studio or something, right? Mm. It's like being able to have like the local kind of like council and things with like support, like you having a space to create something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what we'd be looking at, like an actual progressive mindset around AA within the political space. 
about what we want to mm. do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this next question is probably like definitely helpful for someone like myself, because I think as Asian Australians, like our parents look to us to provide them with advice when say it comes around to voting time. Yes. They're like, Oh, what should I do? You know, who should I be putting down on the paper? But even as Asian Australians ourselves, like growing up, we didn't have anyone to teach us the context of politics and what that means for us. Like what you were just saying in terms of um, how do policies or how do their actions have implications on us? What would be your advice to someone who um, is like, I don't know anything about politics, but are willing to learn? I, I would say to connect to media outlets, like not, not, not for a shameless plug, but I would say to like look at media outlets like um, AAP or like even like EST media. Um, yeah. yeah, just like look into like informative spaces that are like run by Asian Australians and mm. and like kind of like if they, if they feel that they can connect with like uh, an opinion in that space or or just like you know with with the data that's coming out of that space then that's kind of I think a good starting point rather than looking to mass media and scaling down because that's what we've had to do right like yeah. look to the yeah. look to the zeitgeist and then bring it back to something that we feel yeah. like is more relatable but yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say go there first because now you can speak to people who are representing you and yes. uh, yeah, sharing your experience. Yeah. Um, are there any specific projects that you're personally excited to work on in the future? Mm -mm. I think just continuing with this business that I've started around copy, like we have a few releases coming up and the response has been overwhelming. So feeling not just champion in that space from a coffee perspective, but also just like the fact that we can get out there and do it when there was a time when I didn't feel like this is something that I could have like owned and managed in a way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just really seeing that space grow and then looking to see how we can connect it. So I do have like grander plans, I guess, to see how we can link all the things happening here with, East Asia. I'm moving shortly to be over there with my fiance for some time. Oh, yeah, oh, so nice. I'm going to Japan. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. So she, yeah. So she's been really good, and she's been back there for a few weeks now. And it's like you know, we we have an apartment, but it's looking at that space as well, and thinking, how do we connect like everything that people want to like look at in terms of like the Australian experience and like some of the kind of like views and, and like, like kind of stereotypical points that people have of it in East Asia, especially mm. how do we kind of create more consistency between that and saying that, Oh, there are people out here that are of the same ethnicity as you, but with the, with the knowledge of this different context. And that's, mm. that's a bigger net project that I kind of want to kind of work on between here and say Japan to start with, maybe go to China and, and Korea and Taiwan as well. Oh, that's so exciting yeah. that's awesome i realized that you didn't actually mention like anything about the the coffee brand or anything like that so just for our listeners feel free to plug <laughs> to okay. what, the <laughs> what the coffee brand is all about because like we have such a big coffee culture here and i feel like yes. it really does bring people together so do you want to tell us um about what it is it's it's, it's really exactly. it's really interesting in, in a nutshell something that australians have always kind of engaged but it's still like a problem within our kind of like coffee, I call it coffee economy for lack of a better word, is that we know we have a high level of execution. We know that every day, just about every day and everywhere, you can get like a, like a decent to great coffee in, in Australia. Mm -hmm. But the difficulty is kind of like having, we have so many small or slash micro roasteries and small businesses that en masse, like we're aware of it and we want to tap into it, but everyone has to compete at a price scale that puts like the end uh, producers out like the farmers and whatnot so more and more it's becoming prevalent to have that relationship with the point of like kind of like manufacturing harvest and whatnot you know every rope of the way and that's something that uh i started with a friend of mine uh luke um uh, luke willis aka skinny limb he's the he's a roaster uh he used to work for addition coffee down in haymarket 
Oh, uh, yeah. And from there, he kind of got his roasting chops and he's like, yeah, kind of gone out now and uh, is working with me on this project. So we, and also my lovely partner, who's like our design house, effectively. Like she makes everything oh, cool. like look semi to extremely pretty. She makes us, Luke and I look very pretty. <laughs> so we appreciate <laughs> that. But yeah, like it's, it's we, well, the idea that we came up with, so the company is called Sleepy Block. We do single releases, kind of like sneaker drops, but we're leading into like something that'll be more like overarchingly branded in that way. But the idea yeah. of Sleepy Block is that it's a term that comes out of like New York and it's yeah. having your space in a in like a quiet kind of like neighborhood and it's like a fixture right. so people would always be like my shop is on this like sleepy block kind of thing oh. and so the lo- so the logo is like a, a box like an unboxing like like as yeah. if you get an order and what the idea is, is that we're flipping it and we're going out to the world but like the sleepy block is the world and like we have our oh, little wow. spot yeah so that's the- wow i love that where can we find yeah. it is it online orders are you stocking yeah yeah so at the moment we got a restock uh it's been going pretty fast um but you just uh we got a squarespace uh store which is linked from our uh instagram and uh linktree page so it's just sleepy block with a no k at the end so just b-l-o-c yeah on instagram yeah cool Um, the last question to kind of wrap up the serious portion of this (laughs) who inspires you in this space um yeah that's super interesting um i think a lot of peers around me like it sounds really vague to say but people doing things in a unique way and like particularly like like particularly asian australians but then finding a way around being previously cat i feel i feel like that's always the uh, common thread through the story previously Mm. they felt like they were kind of like unable to like go past a certain point because the uh the vanguard of a certain space or the gatekeepers Mm. were not anyone that were was asian australian but it's been more in recent times that like there's been that confidence to go out on their own and whatnot and it's a lot of peers doing business for themselves that have found like an avenue to just truly excel in that business and then have an effect on a level that's like revered or something like that. Like having a brand and then taking it to like the world stage and being like, Oh, I got, you know, I got spotlight and spotlight in this media or something like that. Right. And I really just follow the thread for that. I just felt like I've been like one person for some time. And so the important thing we're going into business is feeling like we can do something that's more community driven and together in a way. And I take that, I take notes from that with every one of my kind of AA peers who like have gone and started something for themselves. Yeah. You know, it's that saying that's like, you are the average of like the five people you spend the most time with. So it is exactly that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as Tracy said, the serious segment (laughs) is over. (laughs) Um, We've got, something well we've got a segment at the end of all our episodes called dinner table questions so we're gonna ask you three rapid fire questions um just basically to get to know you a little bit better the first question is if you could only consume one type of media for the rest of your life what would it be (laughs) pro wrestling (laughs) (laughs) fake fake pro wrestling fake wrestling pro wrestling for the rest of my life yeah 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 cool nice what is the craziest thing you've done in life so far? Oh, um, probably uh, the most surreal thing is, yeah, I, I'd say probably rap, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like it's one thing to make music and pursue that as a passion. But then like in this last few years, I've been able to go gig a lot and then especially have the bigger gigs this year and when I'm, uh, and perform. So like the most like crazy thing I feel like is performing to some degree yeah, because right. it's not something inherently that I ever thought about for my life ever. How did you get into that? Um, it came off like the back of like, so when I was living overseas, I was yeah. working a lot on music and learning music while I was there, right. but not mm. with any intent. That was kind of like a pastime on doing a bunch of other things. And then I connected with a lot of people on like the SoundCloud and even like MySpace 
area because there was just so much more social back then in the way of being like hey do you want to like work on stuff together and like just kind of community and so it came off the back of that and that's that's what we did and then from there opportunities just came up when i came back from my overseas tenure where it was like do you want to perform at this like night and it's like eh, sure like sure (laughs) yeah it's one of those weird things again like juggling things in the week that's the problem i it's not that i can't say no but if it's something that sounds even like a monochrome of exciting, I leap at yeah. it. Like yeah. I have like, yeah, it's just like, yep, let's do it. And then afterwards the panic sets in and it was like, oh crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have to do it now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, there's so many things like you, you guys know, like from like logistics, there's so many things you may not have thought about and you're like, oh, it's all coming yeah. down yeah. crashing yes. down. Yeah. 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 Where, where can people find your music now? Uh, Online, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, and all that. I am X Trilliums on those platforms. So it's X and then Trilliums. It's a really yeah. Weird we'll name. also awesome. put a link to. I'm sure you have heaps of links. Literally to everything. Everything. <laughs> everything you do, we will link it into the show notes. I'm cutting it down. I'm cutting it down. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Last question. What are three things you'd bring with you to a deserted island? Oh, it's like like just on instinct, right? Um, yeah. What would I bring with me? No tech because battery power, right? You just got to, like, it's not going to happen, right? So what would I bring with me? I would try and grow some crop. So I bring some seeds or something. What am I, I, like, eating uh, the most of? I mean, fruit. Fruit's my favorite thing. So probably, probably like, something like plums or something, some seedlings to grow some fruit. Uh, impossible that. right like you can only look so much on a deserted uh, island and potentially like you know there's nothing actually going on you can't guarantee um yeah. <laughs> well what else uh to a deserted island uh i was t- okay instinctually i just thinking about now like barn me but like you get one and you're like i'm done <laughs> he's portioning it out <laughs> i'd want that so bad but i would just like it was like yeah just like somehow you have one a day you just some someone just drops through you one a day yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like something like just off the bat and also yeah. like uh, yeah probably like um i, I want to say like a barbell or like swim swim gear oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah so either like something practical to, yeah something to do my strength work or otherwise just swim a lot like so i'd bring my swim gear or like snorkeling very practical gear. yeah well, that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. Um, having such a, I want to say, exhilarating conversation because we talked about like 500 different topics. But <laughs> it was amazing. Um, as Tracy mentioned, we'll met like we'll put everything of yours into the show notes so that our listeners can find you. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed being on the potty with us. Thank you for having us. That was super awesome. Um, I've never guested on like a full length podcast before. So this is not only the first, but I would argue potentially going to be the best experience that I have oh, on a podcast. Thank you. Because it was like super fun talking to you guys. And yeah, I hope we get to, to generally uh, connect more in the future, especially with uh, the growth and, and whatnot of our community, you know? Agreed. Yes, this is not the last we'll see of each other. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.